Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. I want to I take a look at Ephesians 1 and see what the Lord wants to teach us today from his word. Here's where we've been. We've been in this series called Hostage to the Devil, and we've been in this series for a couple of weeks. Now, we began in Genesis chapter 3, and it's just to catch up to speed for those of you that haven't been here, Adam and Eve are created. They're given to each other in marriage. They're given the garden to enjoy, but they're given a command to avoid the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, many of you already know they didn't pay enough attention to that command because they went right to the tree and they took it for a snack, right? Uh, But more than that, in that same narrative, they were given dominion by God. And what dominion actually means, as you look in Genesis 1 and 2, is that they were given the responsibility for the care of creation, but also the expanding of the good in the world. Adam, you're supposed to work the land, right? So they were given that. It was entrusted to them. And then they chose what was forbidden. And in the narrative, what you see is that once they chose what was forbidden, God cast them out of Eden. In other words, they were not fit to dwell in that space anymore. And for those that were given dominion, which is the proper care of Eden, the proper exercise of authority over Eden, after they were kicked out, you saw the gates of it were shut down and you saw a cherubim that was there to protect it, which was, by the way, Adam's job to begin with, is to protect the good and what God created. And they just didn't do it. And when they followed the word of the serpent, serpent, they handed dominion over to the serpent. And when you hand it over to the serpent, you're handing it over to chaos. And it's what they did. They welcomed chaos in a number of levels. On the one hand, they they saw that there were some, well, there was some kickback to the choice that they made. The serpent, you're going to go to the dust of the earth and you're going to crawl on your belly. You're going to be at strife with the woman and the seed of the woman. So the serpent, which represents chaos, is going to be at odds with what the woman is, which represents humankind, but eventually a specific human, Jesus Christ. There is, he says, that that, uh, the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the serpent, which was a foreshadowing of the Christ that was going to come and beat him. So even in the midst of a fall and a mess, there's a lot of hope. But you also saw that for the woman, there were some consequences. There was going to be more pain in childbirth, and there was going to be fractures in relationships, including relationship, the relationship with her husband. And then for the man, there was a literal curse on the ground, that the, 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 the ground that he was putting his hand to work, that that was going to become more laborious for him. Now it's not just you got to pluck the fruit, it's that you have to deal with the thorns and the thistles. And then he looks at the man and he says, oh, and by the way, you're going to die. And it's not just that there was physical death. Right after he says you're going to die, there's enumerated in Genesis this list of people and it would give a name and it said they lived X number of years and then they died. But it wasn't just a physical death. It was a spiritual separation that happened when they chose to walk away from God. They created a space that wasn't there before. And naturally when they walked away, that created a chasm in the relationship between them and God. But it also created a chasm within themselves. 
Because when God comes back in the cool of the day and he says, where are y'all at? This is after the fall. Where are you guys at? Where were they? They were hiding something that they had never done before, which by the way is something that sin very often does to us. Rather than look it in the face, rather than call it what it is, we decide to duck behind the bushes and act like there's nothing to see here. And God comes in, which is an act of mercy on his part, so that he can look at them and say, what have you done? This is a moment of opportunity for them to own it so that the relationship between them and God can be restored. But when they handed this over, when they took the dominion that was entrusted to them and they handed it over to the serpent, something was lost. Something was lost. And what I want to pick up on today is to say that there's more to the story than the loss that happens in Genesis chapter three. What I want you to recognize today is that for those of you that are in Jesus Christ, you have an inheritance that is given from him. He has made you one that is an authority over all the evil in the world. And the thing about it is every demon wants you to not believe that. That's what we're gonna look at today. Are y'all ready? Here's the way it looks in uh, Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse 15. It says, for this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Did you notice a couple of things that Paul says that he wants his people to get? If you look in verse 17, he says, I want God to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Not that they don't know him, but that they may know him better. That they may see God more clearly than they saw him before. And notice he's talking to Christians here. I want you to know God better than you already do. Even in verse 18, I want, you to, I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened so that you can know the hope to which he has called you. Do you see a theme here? That you would know something now very practically in your life that you don't yet know is what he wants them to see. In other words, seeing things as they really are than how you just think things are. Or, What he wants them to see is the power that they have as believers, because apparently as believers, we can forget that, that we have a power. And what we forget, you saw in verse 18, the glorious riches of his inheritance of those that are his holy people. Now, this is an abundance in wealth in your spiritual life that you inherited because of your faith in Jesus Christ. That is, when you brought the, when the relationship between you and the Lord was brought back together, you inherited something. As John 1 says, is he, he gave you the right to be called a son of God, which means you're one of his children, and that means that you are now a part of his kingdom. And the question then becomes, what comes with that? Because it's a lot of things. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, Kent Hughes gave this example some years ago, and I just thought it was great. How many of you know where Itasca, Texas is? Well, if you go back to around, actually right before World War II, in Itasca, Texas, there was a fire that hit the school when all of the children were in it. Unfortunately, 263 children died that day in Itasca, Texas, in a fire in the school. Uh, during the war, they remained without a school, but after the war, they built a school again and installed, let me quote, the finest sprinkler system in the world. That is a quote. Never again would that disaster happen. 
visitors, by the way, would actually come to see this sprinkler system. I'm not making this up. The honors student at Itasca High School would actually give tours of the sprinkler system at Itasca, at the Itasca school system. Never again was that going to happen. And when Itasca grew, what happened was they had to grow with the growth. They had to expand the building. And when they were expanding the building, guess what they found out? They found out as they were adding a new wing that the sprinkler system that was the greatest sprinkler system in the world had actually never been hooked up to water. <laughs> Whoops. That's a little bit of a mistake. Here's why I give you this example. Here's why I give you this example. Well, here's why I give you this example. Let me get a mic. You know, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to finish what I started. <laughs> I pray. Friend, well, that's not even working. <laughs> All right, now I'm just being mocked. Vox 7, there we go. I will not be denied. I will not. Okay. Here's why I give you the example about Itasca, Texas, is because I think when it comes to our spiritual life, the problem with much of our spiritual struggles and defeats is because we're not hooked up. It's not that there isn't a capacity. It's that we're not hooked up to the capacity that we already have. The system is in place, but because of ignorance, or because of sin, or because of disbelief, all of the power that you have and the inheritance that you receive with Jesus Christ, you have made as effective as the sprinkler system in Itasca, Texas. I want you to remember something instead. In Ephesians 1.3, you have already been blessed, it says, with every spiritual blessing. You don't need more than what God already gave you. You need to use what you've already got. That's what we need. And that's why Paul says this. I want you to see something here. I don't want you so focused on what the demonic is doing around you that you don't see the power that's already within you. Focus on that. It's what he wants them to see. And even in verses 19 and 20, it says this. He says, and I want you to see his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but the one to come. He says, I want you to think about a few things here. The power that you already have, have you thought about that? He uses a word here, dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. It is raw power, and it's already there, but it's more than that. He says there's an energy that is there. This is the inward propulsion of the power that you've got. You know something about the, lightning, the, light, the, the light bulb? A 100-watt light bulb is more powerful than a 60-watt bulb because there's more energy being transferred to it. And I feel that sometimes in our spiritual life, it's not a matter of the power that we already have. It's the energy that's not being transferred. And all the measures that we take as followers of Jesus to not, and not use the power that we already have. This is what Paul's saying to the church at Ephesus. You got it. You just got to tap into it. Maybe a lot of our struggles is because we focus on tapping into the wrong stuff. Is that fair? And he says this power is great. Literally a word that means it has the ability to conquer. Now here's what this means. That means for some of you and me that there are strongholds that are in our life and we need to be reminded of this great truth from God's word this morning. It has the power to conquer it in your life. 
You, you don't have to look at a stronghold in your life and to say, yeah, it looks like this is just the way that life is going to be. But instead, by the power of Christ that is in you, you proclaim a power over it, is what Paul is trying to say. More specifically, he says, I want you to experience a resurrection kind of power. And you go, what kind of power is that? Well, that's the kind of power that takes things that are dead and makes them alive. It's that kind of power. It is the kind of power that turns everything back on its head. It is that kind of power. And the example that he gives here is in the ascension of Jesus himself. Christ was seated at the right hand of the Father, which is a position of honor, but is also a position of power and rule. And notice what he says. He is seated there and you are in him, which means you're where? You're in him at the right hand of the Father in a position of power and rule. Where's the throne? that he sits on. It's in the heavenly places. Where does he sit? High above every authority, every demon, everything that would mean you harm. He is over it already. You just need to remember that. Here's what that means. That for those of us that are in Jesus, no demon has any authority over you because all their power got taken away. It's gone. He took away the power of death, and we're reminded of this in Colossians 1.13. He, that is Jesus, rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Remember that theme of dominion in Genesis? You handed it over. And he says, yeah, well, he took that back. He took that back. And when you came back in relationship with him, it was restored. What was meant to be and what was lost in the fall. And every time that we choose sin, we came to Jesus. It came back to us. So the demons only move, just so you know is to deceive you into thinking that you don't have this power and you don't have this authority over them. That is the only move that they got left because Jesus has already whooped every one of them. Here's the problem, is we buy it. We buy it. We allow ourselves to be deceived. There's a story, I'll give you an example. There's a story, not long after a wealthy contractor had finished building the tombs prison in New York's uh, city, he was found guilty of forgery. And he was sentenced to several years in prison in the prison that he had built. And as he was escorted into a cell of his own making, the contractor said, I never dreamed when I built this prison that I'd be an inmate in it one day. Eh, probably not. But this is exactly what happens. When we, when we believe the voices of demons... That means that we walk back into the prison that as followers of Jesus, we walked out of. It is what he set us free from. But we make the choice to say, I'm going back in the... How many of you watched the Andy Griffith show? I was thinking about Otis this week for some reason. You know, he's the town drunk. And you know what would happen? He'd walk back in and he'd walk right into the jail cell and turn around and go, kink, and shut himself in. Did you know that spiritually this is exactly what we're doing when we buy the lie that the demons are selling us? All they've got is the ability to deceive us and to dupe us because they don't actually have any power over us. We have claimed Christ. It reminds me of the Wizard of Oz. How many of you have seen the Wizard of Oz? You, you remember we're off to see the wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz? And they go and they finally get to the wonderful Wizard of Oz. And, you know, kind of a scary figure when you think about it. There's this booming voice. I am the Wizard of Oz. You know what I'm talking about? I am the Wizard of Oz. And it makes it to where you don't actually want to approach the Wizard of Oz. But as they sneak in and they yank the curtain, what was behind the curtain? Basically a little old man. 
right? There wasn't anything to fear, but that little old man wanted to give you the appearance that he was something to be feared. That is the way that you need to be seeing demons in your life. They are basically nothing but an old man behind a curtain that is giving you the appearance of something that they don't have. Jesus even proves this in his temptations. Not that they weren't real. They were. I mean, he had to be ministered to by angels when it was over. It was real. But in, in one of the temptations, you have Satan standing with him, looking down and saying, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all of this. He didn't have anything to give him. It wasn't his to give. That would be like me taking your cash and then going, here, I'll give it to you. Well, it's not mine to give. It's yours. But he just makes this turn. All you got to do is worship me and I'll give you all of this. I want you to remember this morning something that St. Paul was trying to teach us and to teach this church. He said, I pray that you will see this. I pray that you will see this. What that means is, is I pray that you will see this in a difficult moment on a Monday and in a difficult moment on a Tuesday, that you won't respond to evil with evil, but you will respond in Christ-likeness. We're reminded in Ephesians 2.6, it says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We're there. We are there. And then the promise you see happens in verse 22 and 23. And God placed all things, that is, he subjected them. He dominated them. He placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything and does it in every way. This promise, not just from Ephesians, but Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give you power to tread on the serpents and the scorpions. You've got it. I give you that power and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. I give you this power. Here's a way of looking at it. Example I ran into years ago that I thought was helpful. Maybe it'll help for you today. A police officer that weighs 150 pounds may effectively stand in front of a tanker truck with an uplifted hand and say, stop in the name of the law. Now, what does he stop that truck with? Does he stop it with his own power? And the answer is no. He stops it with authority. The police officer certainly couldn't stop any, any vehicle with his physical force. He don't have that kind of force. He's appealing to an authority that's greater than himself, which is the law to back him up. And this is exactly what you have in your relationship with Jesus Christ. An authority that wasn't yours, that became yours to make it stop. Your authority over Satan is the same way. He says, I've given it to you. I think what Satan wants you to be thinking this morning is that you don't have it. Jesus is telling you a different story. So I want you to be thinking for a moment. We could all be thinking of a stronghold that's in our life. We could be thinking of fear. We could be thinking of anxiety. We could be thinking about a personal addiction that we struggle with. Every measure of power has already been given to you to defeat it. The enemy just doesn't want you to believe it. He wants you to be held back. So there's some good things I want you to remember this morning. Some things that I think are worth, for those of you that are note takers, let me coach you to take some notes here. And here's the first, when it comes to your spiritual struggle, you gotta be very careful not to give Satan and his demons too much attention. Don't focus on them so much. This can lead to fearfulness 
It can lead to an overestimation of his power. It can lead to a fascination with evil or even a kind of satanic worship. You're just kind of caught up in it. Don't seek to know anything more about the demonic than the Bible tells you you need to worry about. Even in Scripture, there's only one time that Jesus asked for a demon's name, and that's in Mark chapter 5, verse 9. And he says, my name is Legion, there are many of us. And then it turns right around and goes, now don't whoop us, all right? That's the only time. And even when he defeats it, he never does anything with the name of the demon. We don't need to be worrying about that. We need to be worried about what it is that is, is mentioned here in Ephesians chapter 1. Remember this. Remember this for all of you who know Jesus. All of your sins have been forgiven. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. All of them. And believers, you are fully accepted as children of God. Remember that. Confession is a good thing. We need to be a little bit more about it, maybe. But confession, speaking the truth from the heart with responsibility, which differs from just saying, well, I'm sorry that happened but with a sense of responsibility. It opens our heart to receive the forgiveness of guilt and the cleansing from shame. 1 John 1, 9 tells us this. And so when the enemy comes against you and reminds you of all the things that you've done, the beautiful thing about confession is you can look at the enemy and say, the Father and I have already talked about it. Nothing to see here. It's been dealt with. I'm not going to play games here. I took it where it was supposed to go. It's been addressed. Moving on. That's the beauty of forgiveness. We need to remember this. Believers confess sin, accept the blood-bought cleansing, renounce sin's place in your life, literally renounce it. It has no hold on me. And recommit yourself as an instrument of righteousness for God. Recommit yourself. And here's why. is because evil spirits can take advantage of us if we refuse to confess things. It can. Using it as an opportunity to steal a relationship, to kill a relationship, to destroy relationships. And I don't just mean your relationship with the Lord. I certainly mean that. But I mean your relationship with other people too. We just don't talk about things. I'll just dwell in my head. Or you can follow the example in Scripture and not give Satan a stronghold. This is what Ephesians 4.24 says. Don't give him a foothold. Don't do it. See, if believers are allowed to allow demonic influence, you can become entangled in a behavior so deeply that you may need help from other believers to get out of it. We see this even in Matthew chapter 18. People that have fallen away in the church, and he says, you need to go and restore each other. And that means sometimes you've got to go to the brother or sister and say you've lost your way. That's not easy to do. It's just important. And how do you do it? You go and get a brother or sister to confront them. If that doesn't work, you get a group of mature and wise believers together so that they can be restored. If that doesn't work, you go before the church. All of which is so that a stronghold that's in their life can be broken, it doesn't own them anymore, and the fellowship of the believers can be pure, and the work of the church can go on. Here's how we typically do it, though. We don't do that. We just don't do it. And by doing so, here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, you give Satan the rope to own the church. And it becomes you against you, against you, against you. And he dupes you into believing that you're the one that is right here and you need to keep this relationship at a distance. That's called a stronghold. How many of you can say, you don't have to raise your hands, he's owned me at some times and he's very good at what he does. Here's what Paul's saying. Here's what Jesus is saying. Don't buy it. Move on from it. 
They could be dominated by a demonic personality, by the way. If you let this go far enough, that's akin to a wife being dominated by an abusive husband and doesn't know how to get out of it. And that's exactly what the enemy would desire from you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't plan your good. Scripture describes him as the father of lies. So don't listen. Lies aren't worth following. Where are you at this morning, my friends? I mean, where are you at? There's so much to consider in Scripture. Many of you would probably look at what we've been talking about this morning and say, you know, this resonates. It really does. Because I can look in my life and I can see a stronghold. I can see a place that it just seems that the enemy has owned me for years. I just can't say what it is. I don't know for you. I don't know. Here's what I can say, is that those areas that we naturally struggle with, Satan knows what they are. And he plans and he uses those things against you so that he can own you and hold you back from the blessing that God wants for you. What Scripture's trying to say this morning is, is that God wants something different for you. You know, so whereas Satan is coming from a place of hate and harm, God is coming from a place of love and for your good. And all you have to do, this is the beautiful thing about Jesus, all you have to do is go to him, to be honest with him, so that you can say like what we were saying before, hey, I know you want to bring this up against me, whatever it is, but I've already been talking to the Father about it. It's been addressed. Moving on. How many of you are ready to move on? So I'm going to give us just some time to pray so that you can talk with the Lord. This is a sacred time. Maybe, maybe there is a sin that you need to confess. Maybe you're sitting out and you're a person that's basically just become a person of bitterness, vindictiveness, hatefulness, gossiping, maligning, self-centeredness. I don't know. I'm just quoting Paul here in Colossians. But we're all prone to being held back in these strongholds and we, just like the serpent before, will use any grounds that we can to justify it when instead the Father is saying, there's another way I want you to go, which is to call it what it is and to move on from it. When we self-justify it, it gives the stronghold an even greater ground in our life. And the longer that we're committed to it is the harder that it is to break it. Reminder from Ephesians 1 today, though, is you have every power and authority already in you for those that have Christ Jesus to defeat it. What is it that needs to be defeated today? We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.